tale of the tape for this, our main event of the evening. We introduce the champion, Chris, the West Side Strangler Brennan. Let's get it all! All right, guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm sitting here with Paul Rimmer, who is the owner of Next Generation Liverpool. Um, he owns a gym in Liverpool, and the other one's in Wirral. Yeah. And uh, kind of the stars out of that gym right now are Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann. Um, but like I tell everyone, there's like, I don't know how many students you have, but there's there's a ton of guys and girls like him, like them, below them, right? They just yes. haven't, haven't popped off yet in the, in the big scene. I don't know if anyone's got a personality like Patty, but... You know, <laughs> <laughs> no one, th- no one has a personality like him. So for, for me and you, uh, actually let's, let's go before me and you met, you were, you started training in martial arts of some sort before. Yeah. I've, I've been training since I was five. Yeah. Um, I'm not really, uh, wasn't really good at soccer or cricket or any of the other sorts of sports that people done. And my, my dad took me to the cinema to watch karate kid. And then that was that. Awesome. Ralph Macchio. Yeah. But like, I I was like, I want to do karate. And then he enrolled me in judo. So, like, that's sort of where, like, the grappling really started for me when I was a kid. I actually had an incident like that I talked about. I don't remember what podcast I was on, but I had already been a multi time world champion in in MMA and everything. And my kids came home from school and told their mom they wanted to start karate. And I was like, oh, oh, wait. And she's like, you have to let them try it. And I'm like, wait, but can we just tell them that this is karate and let them start? Nope, they had to do karate for a couple months. And I was like, man. But yeah, everyone wanted to do karate after the karate kid, right? I'm going to ask Luke to show me a kata when I see him next. I might be able to find a picture of him with a with a, a gi on as a five year old, six year old. Um, so, from how long did you train in karate? Uh, well, I've I've never done karate. I did judo for for quite a long time. Then I moved into like traditional jujitsu, like traditional kung fu. Because like kind of like when I was growing up, just like you before UFC, there was nothing. Nope. As far as we were concerned, you could take ten guys on in a fist fight. Right. As long as you knew martial arts, you were gonna win. You know what right. I mean? So it was kind of like that sort of stuff. And then. Um, I first seen like UFC one or two on a TV program in England and I was just like oh I want to try this you know what I mean so I kind of like um, started trying to do bits and pieces with people I knew that are trained me and my, like, my best friend back home we bought some mats and we like move his sofa out the way and <laughs> just like train in his living room and stuff and then um, I met a guy who who started teaching me like some wrestling and real sort of grappling and then he said to me i can't take you any further you need to go to america and i bought a copy of grappling magazine the one that you have on the wall downstairs yeah, where i'm choking bow yeah <laughs> and um i remember reading it and i was like this is the guy i want to train with and then the next thing i sent you an email and came to live at your gym yeah so used to come uh for the people who know used to come for about the summer yeah, yeah. I, I think I went from April to December the first time I came. Okay, so yeah. it was like six months. Yeah. And uh, would train and, and you know, uh, be there every day, basically lived inside the gym, mm-hmm. and then would go home and kind of continue to do it there and then come back the following summer. Like, it happened, I don't know how many times, uh, I think we just talked about it the other day before you brought me over to do a seminar, and from that point on, we just kind of started. That was 2000. When you came to me the first time was what, 2002? 2002, 2002. Yeah. 2002. So the UFC had been around for like nine years, I guess. Um, so that means I, at that point, I had been training for nine years. I started also I, the day after UFC won. I was like in it, you know. Um, so, and I remember when you were coming out, 
you did know more judo than anybody else. You were helping. You were showing, you know, throws and stuff like that. Even when Russ would, and we were in San Clemente, Russ would show wrestling stuff, and you were showing, you know, some some good judo stuff. Um, how long did you do that? Just just for a few years or for a while? For a few years, but like, yeah. like I said, I'd done traditional jiu-jitsu, which has like a lot of throwing in it, but kind of like it was more no one really knew how to shoot doubles or anything in England at that like sort of time that like um, I could have went and trained with I suppose so right. for me like it was like throwing and tripping was like, kind of right. like the thing to do um, and I remember when I, I turned up and we were doing like wrestling practice and fight team training they weren't used to someone trying to throw them right um, I remember like um, I sparred with Jeremy and awesome I threw him, <laughs> and he got up, looked at me, and then beat the fucking crap out of me. <laughs> like, 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 I, like I stole something from him, yeah. you know what I mean? You definitely didn't want to accidentally get the upper hand on him. <laughs> oh, man. So from that point, you know, you started coaching guys, um, opened up your own gym, obviously, mm -hmm. and, and just, you know, blew it up from there. Uh, and had a lot of, uh, I mean, let, let's just go back to, before UFC fights, you guys sort of dominated Cage Warriors for years. I mean, still kind of are doing that on the on the level below the UFC, correct? Yeah. yeah. About how many people you have on your fight team? Ooh, at the, um, if we're just talking professional, I'd say we have about 18, something like that. Profe yeah. yeah and then with amateurs, a lot more? Probably like, say, another 20. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I've seen on a typical... Uh, Cage Warriors card where you'll have five, six people fighting yeah. on one card. Is that right or more? No, yeah, we, like we um, we like having people in camp with the same end date, right? Because it's hard to like structure sessions where like one guy, one guy, one guy, one guy. Right. So like, makes it a lot we're, we're trying to make everyone like sort of like peak towards the same sort of times, but also be able to hold back the rest of the team that aren't right. aren't training for, for fights. Is that an organization where you have to sell tickets? Cage Warriors, yeah, they allow you to sell tickets, but you don't. Uh, I shouldn't say you don't have to sell tickets because obviously you sell zero tickets. Like, right. you know, promoters don't like that. But right. Cage Warriors are very, like, um, they'll do the promotion. I only ask because there's a couple events here where they won't put more than two guys from one gym on a card because they figure that those guys are going to sell all the tickets and not, no, not more people are going to come because of four more people or five more people you know what i mean so they only put a couple from eat from a, from one gym on the card no cage warriors aren't like that at all cage warriors are like very very supportive of, of the gyms that support them as well right so i'm like we are we are one of them gyms so for example i've got three guys uh nathan luke and, and adam they're all fighting on the cage warriors card in manchester and each one of them will sell way over 100 tickets oh each each nice yeah. and it's like nice. most of the guys from the gym will just watch it at home you know right. what i mean so it's not the guys from the gym that are buying the tickets necessarily that's awesome they're all all three of them are pro all pro yeah. all undefeated nathan uh, fletcher nathan's been defeated once for the for the cage warriors bantamweight title okay uh, but other than that they're all undefeated yeah you've had uh, at least one, maybe multiple titles there before as well. Four, correct? four, four Cage Warriors world titles so far. Yeah, Paddy was one. Paddy, Rosie Sexton, right? Some others, and then uh, did did Molly fight for the belt there? Molly's one of the other ones. Okay, and cool, Mapona. Cool. So we've had four so far. Very cool. All different weights, and you know what I mean. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so then moving forward, um, I went into it with Molly Molly the other day because I remember back. It's got to be. I don't. Lucas wasn't. Lucas wasn't training, or he's training but not fighting yet. So it had to be, I don't know, seven, maybe eight years ago. The people of Bellator were trying to pay me 
$10,000, to get Patty to sign with him, you know, <laughs> and, and obviously he, you know, he went the, the UFC route, but they were already, you know, so wanted by American companies, by the American organizations, even though they had only fought in Cage Warriors, because Cage Warriors is huge, you know, it's a big organization. Cage Warriors has one of the biggest uh, TV deals in place, like, it's worldwide, you can pretty much watch it in every country, every continent, so like, people awesome. are very aware of who the guys fighting on the show are. It's it's here now too, right? They're in the United States. Yeah, now they a do shows bit, right? in San, San Diego. Diego. Yeah, because the uh, the owner of Cage Warriors he is lives in San Diego. Oh, okay. How? Okay, cool. He used to live in London, and now he lives in San Diego. So that they have a big footprint there now. Very nice. Um. So let let's let's venture into the the Patty Molly deal. <laughs> What's it like, or or how do you go about? coaching someone like patty it's the same kind of question i guess i would ask someone like john cavanaugh one once the the fighter is like as large as the sport right he's not just he's his own entity his own little thing you know and, and it's crazy because the way he walks around liverpool everybody knows him you know uh molly came to the united states everybody knows her here yeah. you know so they can't even imagine what it's like over there and then he's obviously He's wild, you know, he's a wild one. So do you just kind of let him do his thing? Do you keep him, you try to keep him in check and keep him guided? How's that go? Both. Yeah. Like, you know, he's a grown man at the end of the day. He's not, a, a, right. a, 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 he started me when he was 15. So we've been in them positions where like, we're like, listen, don't do this. Make sure you don't do this. And he's like, oh, fuck you, I want to do this. Right. And then he's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, as he's got older, he's like, obviously he, he knows more about, um, MMA, like everyone looks at him, they're like, "Oh, that guy doesn't train; he just does fight camps. He doesn't. He trains every day. He oh, trains yeah. really hard. Like he, he has been trained since he was 15. And apart from where he's had surgeries, he's in the gym. He fights on a on a Saturday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He's back in the gym training. Takes a couple of days off. Yeah. Um, he's very mature, very immature. You know what I mean? Like when I say immature, I mean like you know we fuck he's around like the joke. He's like, yeah, right. that's what makes him fun. But when it comes to like his approach to training and stuff, he's very mature about it. Same with her. She is like uh, so switched on to training. They both yeah. are because you can't get to the upper levels sure. of the sport without being there. Right. No one gets there by luck. No. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no such thing as, as luck. If two people are training, fight camps, eight weeks, nothing's lucky. Right. You just train. Right. That's no doubt. She's a lot funnier than I thought she was too. Like she's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, as soon as she walked in the door, she started talking to me like we were hanging out the day before or something. And yeah. It was the first time I'd met her. <laughs> you know, I was like, "Holy smokes!" She started making jokes, like making fun of me right off the Straight bat. Away, I was like, yeah. "Okay, so <laughs> hi." <laughs> but that's her personality because she basically like we were talking about personalities today, and I said if me and you got dropped off in the middle of Africa, you'd be home within three days, and I'd be fucking stuck there. <laughs> she could just walk anywhere and just be friends with anyone, and anyone right. will do anything for her. She's right. like, a, she's got like a, a great personality. Right, sweet. Um, so, watching you coach this week, yeah. I don't want to give away any secrets, but have you ever seen the movie Moneyball? Yes. So, I don't know if that's where your your thinking came from but it took me till day three of watching you coach and listening to you and i'm like god what and i'm thinking oh it reminds me of moneyball it reminds me of, he's playing the numbers he knows that the number the answer to every 
question in the UFC at the moment, you know, of, you know, like I said, I'm not going to give it all away, but of what is happening, you know, the, the gist of what is happening and how it's happening by who and what happens most, et cetera. So is that, am I correct when I compare that to a little bit? Yeah. No? Like I, um, I, I, st I study a lot. I, I have like, uh, Ellis, you've met Ellis before. Yep. Oh yeah. And I've got another coach, Adam, and like we, we all ping ideas off each other. But it, it all came from ideas um, like well, I'm not going to say like Moneyball specifically was like an inspiration and stuff, but it's along the right sort of ideas. You know, you, you have to look at what the numbers are, what is going on, and kind of work backwards from there. I find like a lot of coaches give their ideas about what fighting is when really fighting is fighting. You should work backwards from that. Right. Most people work forwards, forwards from their ideas, and I find ideas by they work backwards. toward the result. You work from the result backwards, yeah. and how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. I, I, I wasn't meaning that you got it from that, but like, can you see the comparison where yes. I, where I see that? You know, yeah, yeah. And and I said that to Lucas. I said, "Have you seen Moneyball?" He goes, "Yes," and he goes, "Oh yeah," and he instantly understood what I said before I even said, you know, that's what it reminds me of. And he was like, oh, yeah. And then we sat there and thought about it for a minute. I was like, yeah, it's very, in a different way, obviously, but very similar, uh, you know, uh, way of thinking and successful. Yeah. Uh, you've been to some, I've been around some like, amazing gyms. Have you ever seen anyone coach the way that I've been doing it this week? No. Uh, I think no. it's like everyone who sees it, they go, oh, I get it. So, for example, like if I, I keep using this fight as like a reference, which is like the Makachev, yeah. Makachev Volkanovsky fight, I, I use that constantly as a reference because that's been the two best guys ever at them weight classes fighting each other. Right. And the way the Volkanovsky fought that fight, I've been teaching that system for like four years now. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun having you coach and then just kind of going through breaking down, you know, the actual techniques to get to where you're at, to get to what you're showing, the ideas, you know, of, of what you're showing and the philosophy of it. And uh, I think it's it's taken you a long time, but now you're to a point where you have a Patty and a Molly and they're going to have some more and some more and some more now that you're at that level. And, and you know, all that, all that time and effort that you put in is going to just start to pay off. Not that it's not with those two, but it's going to continue. You know, it's going to yeah, continue. I'm, only going to get more and more from that. I mean, that. I'm not going to ever turn around and say, like, Oh, my guys are always going to win and not going to lose fights. That's like impossible to say because, sure. you know, there's a lot of random chance. But I think we're getting closer to what fight coaching is. So I was speaking to Raphael the other week and you were coaching class at the time. And, and um, he said, uh, how do you do things? And I started explaining to him about like, you know, my four rules. He messaged me instantly after after the class was over. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Did he like it? Yeah, he said, I can't wait to come. I'm going to come back on whatever day it was and... And uh, so I can be at that practice when he coaches. I want to see, you know, how he's doing it. And and then as soon as you started, five minutes in, he goes, this is what he was talking about. This is what he was telling me. And I was like, yeah, you know, awesome. So I, you know, I was obviously paying attention anyway because I, I would. But, yeah, it was. It didn't take your conversation with him long for him to No, and I, I think the thing about it as well is, um, like a guy like Tim, he doesn't need to do anything different. He can just add it into kind right. of what he does. So you can make it specific, bespoke to fighters, or you can train a team. Because that's the thing about what we do. And and uh, every fight in the room is different. And what I was saying to uh, Raphael was, you have 
boxing on its fundamentals, Muay Thai on its fundamentals, Jiu Jitsu on its fundamentals, and wrestling on its fundamentals. Who's teaching MMA fundamentals? Right. Like, because the sport, when you mix them things together, is not them things mixed together. 100%. It's very different. So, like, that's kind of where we, we started with it. We are kind of like, okay, let's work these fundamentals out on what these things should look like and what, what you shouldn't do. I find a lot of people over-teach technically. I think I feel like it's every like if you go into a gym and every day you're learning something new, you're not really retaining anything. So right. my job as a coach is to put you in scenarios and train you from them scenarios that are most likely to happen. Right. And if you watch elite level fighters, a lot of them do the same things very, very well. Right. Um I suppose taking that and then isolating them specific things and then finding new ways to train them new references to put them into new um new scenarios a new fight comes out and then when uh, a fight happens we're looking for uh validation of what we're doing we're seeing right oh yeah that's like that's super important to us sure um that's like uh when i coach i ask questions as well I want to see that like you're not just there in the room waiting to spar. I want to see that you're trying to listen, you're trying to learn, that you want to be better. I feel like the sport has moved on from fighters to athletes. And if you went to any NFL team, they're going to teach you plays. Sure. You go to any basketball team, they're going to teach you plays. You walk into an MMA gym and they're going to teach you technique. Right. That would be the same as me turning around to you and saying, okay, I'm going to stand at different points in the football field and I'm just going to throw the ball at you just so you're prepared for it rather than just generally improving your catching skills right. or your throwing skills and that's where people miss out. Uh, when I taught Jiu-Jitsu today, I spoke about skill set versus technique and how most people drill technique and don't work on the skill sets behind them right. and I think that's like a really important part of coaching MMA. Yeah, saying that they don't mix, it's not the same once it's mixed. I've got a guy who fights in glory kickboxing. Mm -hmm. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt and he wrestled in college. That should be the baddest dude on earth, yeah. right? He's a monster, but our goal is to improve him being able to use those together because it didn't just come together for him. You know, and, and uh, he's, he's winning fights and he's doing well, but he, he is not a glory kickboxing jiu-jitsu black belt college wrestler at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're trying to mesh together but we had to kind of back up a little bit to, to do that in a fight instead of trying to be each one of those one at a time. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. You'd love to have all those skills and use them, you know, combine in, again in a fight. But when, uh, when you only learn them like that, that's how you know them, you know, one yeah. at a time. And I also, like, a, a big part, part for us as well <clears throat> is how, I mean, we haven't even spoke about this, is how strength and conditioning and fighters overtraining and stuff happens. So if we go back 10 years where like there's uh, a lot of guys having to do jiu-jitsu and then they're doing wrestling and then they're going to get boxing and then they're running every morning and trying to lift and do all these things. They are overtraining, the burns, the bodies break down, yeah. um, the careers end short, them sorts of things. You know, you. You have to think about this, and this is like a huge part of it. If I go to a boxing gym, 
As an MMA fighter, I go to a boxing gym and I learn to box. And my MMA coach makes me box and spar. And he doesn't speak to my MMA coach. The next day, I might go into MMA and then I'm sparring again. Right. Okay? And then I go to a Thai boxing gym the next day. And that Thai boxing coach makes me spar. Because these coaches all want to see me spar. Right. Okay? Like, that stuff needs to stop. That's so much head contact, head trauma. Oh, yeah. But guys just think that's acceptable and we'll just get on with it and do it because coach tells them it's okay. Yeah. It's not cool. Like, fighters should spar. We do one day big gloves and shin guards on and it's never, like, knockouts. You know, we're not um, not ever trying to, like, knock people out. We're just trying to get better. Right. And we spar one day a week in smaller gloves, shin pads, and head guards. And that goes a bit heavier on like the grappling and uh, ground and pound side Buffies. of things. Yeah. 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 yeah I, like I've had to stop guys from sparring so many times a week, you know, in other classes. And I was like, you don't spar in kickboxing and boxing if you're going to spar with us. Yeah, of course. You know, it's too many days a week. And we used to, you know, if you remember back in the day, we, we would spar hard bloody mondays yeah yes bloody mondays <laughs> and we'd spar hard in and little gloves yeah yeah not not puffy they didn't have puffies yet we just sparred in fight gloves and everyone was like you know putting your gloves on you had that you know nervous it's it's time to fight i'm not going to name names one of your fight team used to keep his uh gel king of the cage gloves in the freezer yeah. <laughs> 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 they used to be like, oh shit. They just get rock hard. Yeah. But yeah, it's different now. And and it's actually I try to bring out some of that in the guys, you know, a little more I, I think my guys don't strike enough on the ground. Mm -hmm. You know, they get too jujitsu oriented. And it's one of the reasons I feel like I lost a Gomi. I out jujitsu him, but anytime he was on top, he was punching me. You know, he was throwing punches. And that's really what the judges want to see. You know, they want to see the punches being landed, damage being done, you know, etc. So unless your jujitsu is finishing, you know, the fight, you're probably not winning unless, you know, you're, you've got stuff locked up. And so I've tried to get them to learn how to punch more on the ground without giving up the position. You know, with Luke, we were so, we went over so much when he was coming up. When you're on bottom, the best time for you to escape and get up is when they start trying to punch you. Mm -hmm. So now switching, all of a sudden he was afraid to punch anybody because he didn't want to lose position. So then we had to, okay, hold on, sorry. You know, we need to control him, but we also need to punch. So let's figure that happy medium out. And and he's he's done a great job at it. But uh, sp sparring, you know, again, back to once a week is, you know, big gloves, little gloves is probably smarter. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I touched on it yesterday as well, which is kind of like a lot of people over cardio. So, like, you have a nervous system, like, constantly, like, doing high output work is going to burn that nervous system yeah. out so kind of like we work alongside uh, our main strength and conditioning coach and he gave us ideas and we all put them together to structure so that the fight team have structured everything so that they know what days everything's on we know what days they're going to do everything on and even if they don't kind of um, speak to them all the time they know what we've been doing so they know that when my fighters turn up for their strength and conditioning sessions they know what sort of day they've had when they go there but i'm always at the strength and conditioning sessions that the fighters do I, I train with them as well so it makes it easier for me to go you need the day off yeah yeah you shouldn't go hard today you should just do this one session today and nothing else how many days a week do you guys do strength conditioning at this moment in time we do two yeah. team sessions that everyone is doing it together and then they do one individual Okay, yeah, so we do two 
a week and then like Luke runs sprints on Friday. Yeah. You know, but the rest is it's just Tuesday, Thursday does, you know, his strength conditioning and then sprints on Friday and that's it. I will say though, like, um you were the first fighter I know of that had a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Yeah. You remember Chuck? Yeah. <laughs> he was a savage. <laughs> Guy was scary. But yeah, I was I did I you know, I, I didn't wrestle so back then I when I fought Pat three times, he was so much stronger than me once we were at that weight that I felt like, okay, I need to I need the conditioning, I need the strength, you know, I need to put all that together. So I was trying to do that. I was the first time I even went to I went to Big Bear, even before Tito started going up to Big Bear, you know, just, just because that the altitude training and stuff, like I was trying to get any edge I could. So, so like that, that's how I look at things because like you were quite a pioneer in a few different areas, you know, uh, obviously like training without the gi, strength and conditioning coaches, like I'm looking at the same thing about like how MMA athletes train right. and what the session should look like, like that, that's kind of where I want to kind of <clears throat> leave our gym and the legacy and stuff, you know, like and that's been inspiring knowing that like when you come from someone who's a trailblazer, you don't just want to learn and just be nothing, you want to be trying to do that continue yourself. to be a trailblazer yeah, yourself, of course, yeah. for sure for yeah. sure and you're definitely doing that um where where do you think your inspiration for like teaching came from because you you were teaching before coaching fighting right you were teaching jujitsu yes yeah or were I, you always coaching fighters I, I i mean i've always had a knack for teaching i've, I've had very good teachers in martial arts, you know what I mean? I've always tried to seek out the best. That's why I said when I got in that grapple magazine, I read about you, I was like, I'm gonna go train with this guy. You know what I mean? I just up and leave and go to the other side of the planet to Here we to are, train 21 years later. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so like, for me, it's always it's, it's always been that. So, having been around great great teachers, great instructors, it's always been quite natural for me to kind of do them things. Like, uh, I don't even remember this, but even going back to when I was a white blue belt when I first started training with you, some of the like purple and, and brown belts would come to me and I would teach them right. things, you know what I mean? Because I just could kind of do that. Um, it's always kind of been natural to me. I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not the guy that gets in the cage. Not that I didn't ever want to, it's just that's not what I'm hungry for, right. you know what I mean? I've always feel like fighters are quite selfish and coaches are selfless. Right. And I've always kind of gravitated more towards that side of things. <clears throat> it's definitely more selfless now that I'm only coaching. Is you'll basically just here's everything. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and before it's like no, I'm, this is for me. I'm you know trying to be successful. But as a coach, you it is definitely uh, especially for the longest time. I was just talking to Buck about it. I, there was a week a week where we flew to Miami, down to Rio, up to Manaus, Brazil, fought. Uh, over the weekend, flew home, flew from the next morning, woke up, flew to Hawaii, and then to Guam. He fought in Guam, and another fighter, Adam, fought in Guam. Then we flew back to Hawaii, back to California, and I made—I was gone for eight days, and I made five hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I made five hundred bucks, and I came home, and I was like, you know, when I was married at the time, she's like, yeah, so that's not worth it. <laughs> but to me, bro, I would have done it if it was for free, right? Yeah. And and if I even now like. If I just happen to be independently wealthy, I would teach everybody for free because that's what I enjoy doing, right? I, you know, of course. Like, I mean, once once you do teach and you see like the results that people get from it, it's very hard not to want to do it. And I, I feel like one of the main main things is for us as coaches, we want our fighters to be better. Yeah. And then 
as coaches, we should always be trying to get better. I feel like that is like oh, one yeah. of the big things that like people just overlook. They'll just do the same things day in, day out and put it on the fighters when really the responsibility on us is coaches. Um, and I said that to when I was teaching the jiu-jitsu class the other day, I was kind of like, everything you do is your responsibility. Like we're there to guide you on the way, but that applies to coaches as well. Everything we do, it's our responsibility to do the best by the fighter, the students, anything like that. So like, that's why I'm always trying to like seek out and make myself better because uh, the reason that happened was uh, Molly signed for the UFC, fought UFC Liverpool, got beat. And she put that on herself and I put it on me. So then yeah. we grew together, you know what I mean? Nice. So like that was the thing that made like the big change for me as a coach. Yeah, I had, before Lucas started fighting, I had stopped watching fights. Like I would watch the big title fights, people I knew, but I just wasn't, all the fights looked the same to me for mm -hmm. the longest time. Like it is boxing, kickboxing, a takedown to fight to get back to your feet as much as you can. And, and that's how it went. If there was a, a random fancy knockout, that was different. Or if somebody, Damian Meyer or somebody was trying to submit somebody, that was different. But it was, everything looked the same. All the fights just kind of, as I watched them, was like, they all look the same. Then he decided he wanted to fight. And I was like, oh, whoa, hold on. And I sat down, and now I'm invested in every fight, mm -hmm. every, you know, every weight class. But I really focus on the featherweights and the bantamweights and the, and the lightweights just because they're all around that same area, and they're fast and strong still. But uh, he's not interested in watching fights at all. Doesn't watch fights. Like, I'll talk him in, he'll come sit on the stairs and watch, like, the main event or something like that. Or if there's a featherweight that I want him to see, I'll, I'll ask him and he'll come watch, but just not interested in watching fights. He'll watch his opponent once or twice if I have two fights, and then the rest is on me and the coaches and just uh, doesn't like to let it get into his head at all. But as a coach, I then started, you know, sitting down and studying, watching the fighters a lot more and watching the fights and how the fight takes place and you know kind of kind of like what, what you're doing but to a less extent but now i, I will definitely be doing that a, a <laughs> deeper deeper extent for sure yeah and that's because that, that's what you have to do because it, it is a sport at the end of the day yeah. and like i say it, it, it used to be fighting yeah and that's what you people used to see so all they would see is like and they still do is they don't see like the intricacies necessarily of the sport but Studying jiu-jitsu for a long time teaches about intricacies. Sure. It really, really does. And it becomes easier, I think, to teach striking if you teach it like jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Like, you I know agree. what I mean? I think, like, learning and teaching jiu-jitsu is the master way for a lot of things. I, I do think that. I think the biggest problem is that sometimes jiu-jitsu can be left behind in the way that it's taught now. Right. So, like... um I feel like uh, as time goes on, I think over the next few years, hopefully you'll see MMA and Jiu-Jitsu maybe taught in like diff different ways because I think where the way boxing and wrestling, like boxing's always been taught kind of like come into the gym, hit the bags, do your circuits, and if the coach has got time, he'll take you on pads. And then if you get somewhere, well, then he's going to give you more and more time. Right. Like, and I never wanted that when we had boxing in, in my school. I wanted you to learn from step one like you would do in a jiu-jitsu class. Sure. And I think everything taught like that works better for beginners and beginners programs. And the better you get your beginners and focus on your beginners, the better fighters that you're going to have. Oh, yeah. Fundamentals. They'll come up with the fundamentals. Everything's fundamentals <clears> at the end of the day. We have a lot of guys that come in that are just lack all the basics. They can throw fancy stuff and they can 
try for flying stuff, but they don't have all the stuff that, that it takes at the beginning to learn to actually finish those things, you know? I have guys so and they go to me, uh, when am I going to get my blue belt? And I'm like, lie down on the floor. I say, you, mount him. I'm like, get out. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not now. Not now. Yeah, one of the things, going back to what we were just talking about, what what scared me into really watching the fights a lot more was when me and we were looking for somewhere for Luke to train, you mm -hmm. know, because at the time we only had four guys here and he was a lot better than them. And uh, so I'm looking around and I called a couple coaches and I, I got on the phone with James Krause and James Krause says, oh yeah, I know your son. I've been studying his fights. And I said, why? <laughs> you know, and he goes, oh, you know, I just, I'm a nerd. I, I study him. I study all the fights. And I was like, okay, did you have a guy that was going to fight him or something? He goes, no, no, no. And I'm thinking, did he? And then in my head he said no, but I'm like, he's an undercard guy in Bellator. Like, how do you even know who he is? You know what I mean? And he's like, yeah, I've been studying all his fights. I think I can help him a lot. And I just like pushed everyone else. Away. I was like, we have to go here just in case we don't want to fight anyone from there now because he's literally <laughs> been studying you. So let's go, let's go train at this gym, you know, and, uh, and that was great guys or whatever. But yeah, I was just like, am I being irresponsible? Like, you know, as a coach, I clearly, I need to get deeper even into what, what, uh, what's going on you know to yeah of course to help everybody the whole team i mean but that like that's the thing like i have my way of doing things you have your way of doing things james has his way of doing things everyone's different you're just trying to find like what works right just like what mma is really isn't it you know we all start that with a, a karate guy versus a judo guy and in the end it turns into what works which turns into a completely different beast you know you can't watch ufc one and then think oh in 30 years that's going to look like what we see now right you know what i mean because it's not no the idea. same it's not the same thing at all who knows what it'll look like in 30 years from now f fuck knows you know what i mean like how how advanced or evolved can it be you know you think about that like we're we're, we're here we're it you know israel adesanya look at him you know mm -hmm. like that's the that's the peak you know look at uh the techniques guys are using but go back to the beginning and there was nothing like that, you know? Do you, do you know what I think, uh, like, uh, my prediction is? I think the average age of a UFC athlete will get younger and younger and oh, yeah. younger. And I think you're going to see, like, a lot of guys get weeded out of the sport. Not because they're, they're older, just because these kids that are training have been training since they were kids. Well, yeah, I think it needs to be like football like baseball like when the kids are young they're going to class to learn to you know these dads and moms especially here in frisco you know they think they've got the next professional football player when he's in fifth grade yeah you know or fourth grade and if they put that same effort into them doing mixed martial arts you know at this point in time, there's a much, much more likely chance that they make it in MMA than they make it in football. Yeah. You know, they actually make it to the NFL. They actually make it to the, the NBA or, or whatever sport they're playing. But at this point, there's a, a bigger chance that they actually can get in somewhere and compete professionally, you know. And But I think if, if we could start to get it, you know, where kids are training, like where, the, where they're putting an effort not, oh, I, I'm going to – I'm going to freeze for three months while I go do football season. You know, nah, this is what you're doing. Yeah, so, like, we have that now in the UK. Yeah. So we have a lot of kids that, like, age eight upwards, mums and dads are driving them around different gyms, putting them in different classes, doing different things, all thinking that, like, this is the way that it's going to be. I don't do that with, with, with Jack, you know, my son. Like, I 
training. He has a focus of jujitsu at the moment. Like I believe that like um, obviously competing in jujitsu and stuff's really good. But I do feel that like the sort of rules that the kids do where there's like no head contact like once there's head contact it becomes like a different beast sure and once there's head contact I want to make sure he's able to take people down and not they don't get back up and right. he doesn't get himself hurt but everyone has their own approach you know I train a lot of kids people some people treat them like the professional athletes which is great I, I want him to have a childhood and have fun and be able to do all the things he wants to do and not feel any guilt about like taking time off as a child because we both understand the pressures that professional athletes get under once they start getting oh, yeah. older, you know. And I consider it if he's eighteen and he still trains, I won. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's 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 the win for me. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Um, and just like Lucas, you know, I remember Lucas when he was like this big, and now I see him doing what he's doing. Like if he'd have never put a pair of gloves on and he just done a bit of grappling, he'd still be an absolute monster. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, it's, like, kind of, uh, you are going to see guys like Lucas younger and younger and younger than, than him, yeah. and they're going to be taking taking grown men out because they have, like, fast reactions, good fight IQ, they have, like, skills in every single different area. Like, how old is Patty in his first fight? 15. Right. He choked out a... Uh, he was 15 when he choked out a Commonwealth Games medalist right. in wrestling. You know what I mean? And he's done that by taking his back and choking him. And yeah, Luke was 17 the week before his senior year started. Choked out a 26-year-old guy that was there with his wife and kid, you know. And then he did it again a couple more times before he was 18. And uh, but basically, what we're saying is there's going to be a million oh, Patties and Lucases. Oh yeah, yeah. at 15, 16 years yeah, old. Yeah, there is. Yeah, and and there might be a, an age limit like when they are allowed to turn pro. You know, I think right now it's 18. May always be that. But imagine if they're fighting at amateur level for 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. And turn pro. You yeah. know, dangerous. Oh, dangerous. 100%. That's, that's, and I think that's where the sport's headed. I think, yeah. like, um, like, what's the average age of a basketballer? You know what I mean? What's the average age of an NFL player? I mean, they're coming out of college already. But you can watch an, a UFC card and see a 37-year-old guy in the UFC. Right. UFC, I mean, I say UFC, MMA. Like MMA is one of them sports, and it's only recently where it's really started to change. Where a 25 year old could have walked into your gym and been in the UFC by the time he was 30. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? He could never have done anything before, but no other sport, professional te televised sport on earth, would that ever happen <laughs> for sure. For sure, <laughs> because if you're good at fighting and you can fight, you have, a, you have a chance, you know what I mean, right? But like that window is now slipping. Do you have any of those guys that ever come in and just I know how to fight? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're a gym owner. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a black belt in Krav Maga and a green belt in Taekwondo. Should I come to beginners class? I get you kids. really should. <laughs> you really, <laughs> you really should. should. Yeah, I get kids that'll come in at, at nine, ten years old and tell me they're a black belt in MMA because mm. there are gyms here that give out black belts in MMA. There are no black belts in MMA. No, if you're watching not, this, there's no and there black sure isn't MMA. one at, at ten or eleven years old. <laughs> no, you know, like come on, like you, so they just robbed you for however long they that you trained there, but. But you know, if a kid comes in and says, I'm a green and black belt in jujitsu, you're like, oh, this oh, kid yeah. knows what could be spoken about this, haven't we? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. That means you're probably 14, 15, and, and pretty soon you're going to be 16 as a blue belt and a high level blue belt. Yeah. Right? Um, we we're explaining basically the uh, a blue belt 
that came through the kids program and turned 16 and got his blue belt is very different from an adult that comes in and signs up and gets his blue belt in six months to a year, year and a half. And that, I suppose that's the thing that I'm saying with, with MMA. It's, yes. That's what it's going to be like. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's, uh, that's scary. It's really, <laughs> scary. It really is. And that's why, that's why like, I'm so passionate about coaching and creating programs and stuff. And why me and my coaches, we give a lot of time to the uh, England IMAF team. Uh-huh. Because we're very passionate about, about that, about educating. Because we don't want kids to be overworked, overtrained, have shitty childhoods, and have like constant pressure put on them you know what i mean we want we want people to be able to have a reference of of how this training should be done we want people to be more secure and kind of like knowing that the kids can not be overtrained and 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 not injured and stuff you know having like kids fractured wrists and fractured knees and what you think like when they get older that's not going to be a problem for them when the professional athletes of course it's going to be more surgeries more time off and maybe they might miss the shot yeah, they're a little more rubbery when they're young, but it's still it's a it's tough on the body. One hundred percent, you know, tough on the body for sure. Paddy's the most rubbery person I know, and you know, as he's getting older, he has more injuries. How old is he? He's nearly thirty. Oh, is he? Yeah. Already? Okay. He's twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Mm. So just just turned twenty-eight. Okay. Um, what's next for him? Um, so he's just had surgery right. from from uh, from his his last fight, and we're just waiting for that to recover, and then he's going to get married. And then we're gonna go from there. Cool. And Molly, she's got a fight booked, right? Yeah, can't say when or where. Oh, no. okay. But she has got a fight booked. Yeah. Okay. Um, for you, what's your what is your ultimate goal, coaching wise? Obviously, you just want to continue coaching as long as you possibly can. But what is your what is your ult? Do you have an ultimate goal? UFC title. UFC title. Yeah. And then you're just gonna close the doors? No. <laughs> no. 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 Like that. That's not. I'm one of them. Like, if if I I set out a, a lot of goals when I when I first started, and that's the only one I've got left on the list. Okay, and uh, when it's one, then it's your next goal is an, another UFC title. Possibly. That's basically the 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 peak, right? Yeah, Just I mean, trying to get that belt. I think like um, if we got a shot at a belt, even if that failed, you know, like we're gonna work harder to get another shot at another. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, the, it's just that's just a personal goal, but I think. If, if you walk into a gym and you're looking for a coach and you say to a coach, I want to be a UFC champion, your coach equally has to want you to be UFC champion. Sure. They want to have to put the work into you for you to get to that level. And oh, that's yeah. something that I want. I want a UFC champion in my gym. I don't just... It definitely takes both of you. It can't just be one of you. Yeah, Me, exactly. And, and either one. No. They can't do it without you. You can't do it without them, obviously. So it definitely takes the passion from both people and the time to put into them and then and then not just that but you have to build a team of coaches that then also are in line with that dream of both of you as well because like it can't just be like you say one of you out of four you know what i mean everyone has to have the same goal be working towards the same time and then the rest of the team has to want to have that as well so the rest of the team has to be there to help you achieve them goals because they're the next ones coming up so my guys who are on Cage Warriors now, they're looking to win Cage Warriors titles. They've seen Paddy and Molly have already done that. They want to get to that level because they know because then they can get to UFC and then they can start working towards them titles. And I always think that generational training is another thing. So I've had a very, very strong mat for the last 20 years, which has created this like 
trickle down effect over the years oh, just yeah. like you have mm-hmm. so like it, it builds that standard that high standard in the gym which then becomes harder and harder for any other gyms to replicate because they don't have the the infrastructure to i do agree that. people come in and open mat on sundays and train they're just like dude this room is crazy you know or or even jump into one of my night classes and they're like they, and they train at another gym but they're just like holy crap you know this is this room is nuts and I'll walk in and there'll be seven, eight, nine black belts on the mat, you know, and and I was like, look, just look around. It's like, yeah, this room is, is like high level. Well, at this moment in time, like we have a world class MMA program, I believe. Like we have that in place for adults, world class MMA program for adults. And, you know, the level of guys, the jujitsu, the guys that train, yep. we have like a world class jujitsu program. I think I train some of the best grapplers uh, in Europe. We've had guys come in from Danaher's, we've had the guys from Daisy Fresh, we've had loads of guys come in and every single one of them has always complimented how high the level of jiu-jitsu that we have is. We have the best kids jiu-jitsu squad in in, in Europe, I believe. We, we do really, really well with, with our kids team. So the only thing left for me to introduce is a teens MMA program. And I didn't want to do that until we had the adults nailed down. We need to do that too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that's like that's my next that's my next project. So like, if um, what age group do you think that is? Twelve to sixteen. Okay. So that's but that will start. So I want the kids from the jujitsu program when they get to twelve that they go into the MMA program or they can do the adults jujitsu classes, and then that program builds and builds and builds. So like, it's it's not a coincidence and it's not luck that we have all these world-class programs in place. Sure. You know, we build them, we focus on them. We're, we're always looking like, kind of like how we improve them, them things. So like, constant improvements in coaching is one of the things that like, we, we always try to achieve. Sweet. Yeah, the, the teen program is definitely gonna be, it's the hardest, I think, to build if you don't build it from below. Yeah. Right, if you don't build it from the younger kids into that, just getting teens to come do it, they've already done. They're already doing so many sports and whatnot, and that's where it'll be nice to, ha- to kind of breed that, you know. And that's what basically you're saying will happen over the next however many years. You're um, gonna see people watch this now, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, teen MMA program," you know right, what I mean? They're right. gonna jump straight on it. Right, and and we we've, <clears throat> we have kids. There's that that gap where they're too big for the kids class, really small for the adult class. Yeah. You know, and and definitely too small for the fighting for that for the fight team training, uh, or too young for it. So that that middle that middle group is where, and that's really where your fighters are going to come from mm-hmm. at some point. You know, so it is is definitely important to build that. So, like a big thing is to look at professional sports teams. So, when you look at like oh, yeah. um, any major professional sports team, they'll have a B team. Yep. They'll have a C team. They'll have like a teens they'll have like an infrastructure where they're building scouts go to colleges they look for these kids that sort of stuff you know it's not going to be any difference i don't know when that point's going to be where you're going to get mma coaches going to wrestling practices to recruit directly you know if um you know tyler's got his last year wrestling coming up he's got three guys on his team that are going to move here to fight that's three four including him four d1 wrestlers ready to fight there you yeah, go. Yeah. So, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, but would it be the case if um, I went to recruit them and then I was going to pay them to, you know what I mean? Right. That's where I think all this is going to be headed yeah. towards. As more money drifts into the sport, as the sport gets bigger, people get more and more well known. 
it's going to become just like every single other sport. So what most people are doing is they're looking at MMA now and then they're going, here's what I think, rather than looking at the sports around and what actually happens. And that's what, again, with the coaching, we're looking at what actually happens, not what we think. Yeah, in California, I just remember back, there's where the Ducks play, where the Kings play. There's a junior Ducks team. There's a junior Kings team. Yeah. You know, and those kids are 12, 13, 14, 15. You know, at 16, they're now being looked at, you know, and by the time they're 18 years old, they're playing in the NHL. And and that is basically the same thing. Uh, and all sports basically have that. Mo- most are older, I guess, because they've got uh, majority of them are coming from college, you know, to the NFL, mm-hmm. college to the NBA. There are guys like, I don't know if Kobe went to college, but LeBron went directly from high school, you know, into the NBA. Um, there's there's other athletes that have done that. So there's the the blue chip guys, you know, the the athletes that are ready to go right off the bat. But for the most part, they're going to come out of a what you said, like the B league. You know, they're going to come yeah. out of that the league below the the teams below. What would happen if the the colleges start to recruit MMA coaches and start having college MMA teams? Yeah, there's there's some schools trying that. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I'm, yeah, I'm not, in my head, you know what I mean? Not D1 schools, but there are schools, local schools, and uh, stuff starting to have MMA or jiu-jitsu programs, trying to have clubs, you know, that will in turn do that. And, and that's something that's uh, crazy. You know, Henzo, mm-hmm. uh, the, in Abu Dhabi, they wanted to have jiu-jitsu in all the schools. They do, yeah. Yeah, and so he needed, f- I want to say 5,000. 5,000? 800, 800. They're trying to get 800 black belts and they're paying them $5,000 a month and a house to go there and, and live and teach at all their schools. So all their schools had a jiu-jitsu program at the young age coming through. It's like, that's going to create monsters at some point. And it's, and it's, not, a, it's not a elective. That's what they do. Well, two things. Number one, when Molly fought on Fight Island, she fought Talia Santos. And when Talia walked out, she got this roar. And I was like, what the hell? And then afterwards, someone, oh, yeah, did you know there's like 600 Brazilians living in Abu Dhabi because yeah. they all teach jiu-jitsu? And yeah. I was like, no, I didn't know that. You know what I mean? And then um, we had a guy from Abu Dhabi come and do kickboxing. And we, I was like, do you not do jiu-jitsu? Then jiu-jitsu in schools. And he said, like, yeah, these tomatoes do. I hate it. So there's that side of things right. as well. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's sports that you've played in school that you don't like. Right. You don't want to play. You know what I mean? You don't strike me as a team sports guy. You've always been like an individual in what you do. So like you probably don't want to play football. You don't want to do um, hockey, them sorts of sports. Right. But some guys do. Some oh, guys yeah. don't want to do the fighting sports. They don't like getting mounted and getting the back taken. <laughs> <laughs> I try to tell people like the, for, for one, wrestling alone is, is the hardest sport. Right? It is, yeah. And when I have kids come in and they don't come in specifically asking for wrestling, I don't let them try wrestling first. I let them try jujitsu first or kickboxing first, and then they can try wrestling. That way, if it's torturous to them, you know, they can they remember. Oh, I like the other class. I'll do that. Yeah. You know, but if they do wrestling first, that might be the last time you ever see them. And and unless they come in specifically, and you can tell they're looking for wrestling. Okay, cool. You know, you can do wrestling, but um, wrestling is the hardest of the three sports if you're going to just do the sport itself. Yeah. And it's a lot more. Uh, the the coaches aren't as oh yes do this put your hand here put your hand there you know, keep your hands up you know like, yeah. ah! push ups run puke so uh, but yeah it's it's um that's definitely the sport that feeds to MMA the most uh, you know I would think at this point in America I would yeah. say I'd say you guys that kickboxing is. 
Boxing. I say boxing, kickboxing feeds into into the into the British style of MMA as it is. But that's why kind of like um, we're starting to breed our own. Like look at like Leon Edwards. Sure. Okay. So like you know when we were speaking about like sort of like the training we we do and we deliver, Leon Edwards has a very specific type of game that he's looking to do, and he's so specific in that game that when they him and Usman fought last, he wasn't expecting to get taken down by Leon Edwards. I wasn't expecting to get taken down by a British striker. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, the times are changing. Yeah. You guys, if you were to bring in a wrestler, would you bring in someone from the United States or just bring in someone from, I guess, east of you, right, would be all the all the Russians, all the Azerbaijans, all the stands? Yeah, I mean, like, so um, we have a NCAA Division One from uh, University of Carolina okay. called Chase and Blair. He fights on Cage Warriors, and he comes to train with us as well. He's one of Paddy's main training partners. American guy? American guy, yeah. Okay. Uh, very, very good. He's one of uh, Justin Flores' students. Nice. Um, so he comes over, and he's he's been doing his camps with us in the UK. So if you'd have said to me, like, do you know at some point in the future American wrestlers are going to come and do camps with you at right. your gym? I'd be like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's different. It's like everything's changing now. I think... Um, even if you watch like the British guys in the UFC, so like there was um, card the other week where one of the English guys, Lerone Murphy, beat a, a Brazilian black belt who'd wrestled that was undefeated. They're both undefeated, and Lerone won. Um, you got guys like Jack Shaw coming up through the rankings. He's a stud. He's fun to watch. Jack's phenomenal. Yeah, very good. Like Jack's great. He's a, he's come up through the Cage Warriors, Cage Warriors way. His dad's his coach. You know okay. I mean, it reminds me very much of, of Lucas as well. He's a back taker too. He's a back taker, yeah. <laughs> um, so like, there's there's a lot of really good uh, future athletes coming up through the ranks, and as more people see, oh, okay, these British guys know what they're doing. You'll see a lot more British kids coming up, a lot more European kids coming up because it's only lifting them. For us, as we grew up watching the sport, it was very much. Brazil, America, Brazil, America, and then it's a little bit Brazil, America, Russia. Um, the Japanese, like, they were a powerhouse, especially when you were in, like, the prime of your career. Yeah, and yeah. Now you don't really like, see anything Gomi of times. Yeah. Yeah, Gomi, Sakurai, Sato, like, they had Sakuraba. Yeah. Like they had and all the monsters. Like, who are the best Japanese guys now? I couldn't tell you. No, but like I say, so, like, that's it's, it's moving around a little bit. Yeah. Like... When everyone was worried about Sakuraba and Gomi and them sorts of guys, no one was worried about anyone from Dagestan. Right. And them guys Where? were like, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And those guys were obviously doing like the combat sambo and all them sorts of stuff. They were trained. They were just like They're lying in the waist. Yeah, <laughs> laying low in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. And here we are. So like, it's kind of like, I, I just, I do see everything goes like full circle. But the one thing I will say that's been consistent in MMA for all the years is America's always been a powerhouse and that is mainly due to wrestling, I would say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's the, that's been the, uh, that and the fact that Jiu-Jitsu came here first when it left Brazil. Yeah. You know, it came, it came to the United States basically first and, and then kind of started gradually going everywhere else. So it had that to add to the wrestling pretty early on. One of my students has just gone out to Brazil to train for a fight camp. I didn't even, he was just, it was like, I'm going to Brazil. I was like, well. To do what? It's like, jiu-jitsu. I'm like, what about jiu-jitsu? Yeah. <laughs> but when I messaged him the other day and I said, how's it going out there? And he goes, I walked into the gym and there was two guys full out wrestling in tie shorts on a basketball court outside. He said like, no mats, no nothing. They I watched him play soccer, barefoot in speedos on concrete. <laughs> I was like, well, they're tough as shit. Yeah, they're they crazy. Are, really are, yeah. <laughs> for sure crazy. <laughs> 
that's wild well okay so uh to wrap it up man um you're obviously working for a world title with your with your team um with two you know the most likely be the first to get it you know you have uh two superstars at the moment and uh like a million you know coming up underneath you how can everyone find you where are you Where's the best way to find John online? Uh, Instagram at Next Gen MMA L Pool. Uh, you can find us pretty much on there. We put okay. a, put a, a lot of content out on YouTube as well. We have a YouTube channel um, that we film a, a lot of a lot of stuff on. So yeah. Yeah, I watched a video this morning and it had nine hundred and sixteen thousand views, and I was like, holy shit! <laughs> Help! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty awesome. It was your it was your king of the mat. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like on Patty, though. It was basically Patty's. It's Patty's YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. But just under a million views, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so like, let's just say, like, we're, we're pretty well known, you know. Um, pretty well. Yeah, I get recognized now. I get stopped for photographs and stuff like that, which is That's bizarre cool. to me. Yeah, it's cool. Like, you know what I mean? But like, um, you know, we went to shoot a Frisco Gun Club before. And someone said, oh, Molly's coming. And the guy was like, meatball Molly. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, well, you know her. And I'm surprised that they know them, but I shouldn't be surprised. because Oh, as soon as they walked in here, people were taking pictures of Molly. Yeah. Came out of my kickboxing class just to get a picture <laughs> with her. And I was like, it's so cool that they they got to that level, you know, and then they're being known worldwide, not just Liverpool. Like, you yeah. know, I know that all the kids run around Liverpool looking like Patty, and now the <laughs> Americans are wearing his wig in the, in the, in the crowd, but... Uh, for her as well, you know, she's come off those two spinning back fists or spinning back elbows and she had already erupted, you know, onto the scene. But with Patty, once she did that, now she's here. Yeah. You know, they're they're together, but they're here. She, she's done it herself. Yeah. I mean, like there was there was a lot where like, them two were together on cards and then like they've like sort of separated themselves out because they're their own athletes as well yeah you know everyone wants to see them together they assume when molly's on a card paddy's on it and when paddy's on a card molly's on it that's uh, not the case they've both just been put on the same cards a few lucky. times and yeah yeah that that gives them a whole night worth of wildness for the ufc you know <laughs> they know once the fights kick off it's it's wild we don't have that here anyway and 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 really i guess in some in some sports but nothing like the the other countries at like a soccer game over there a football game over there mm. you know or or you can't find one of our fighters that fights that gets the pop that peter queely gets yeah you know what i mean and he's not even paul uh matt <laughs> molly or yeah. patty yeah yeah, yeah you course, know yeah and and but it's just if you're from that country they're cheering for you and they're going crazy you know here you get I like this guy, or I like this guy, or I like this guy, but we're not going to cheer for him just because he's from here, you know? And and you guys have, like, just a gigantic support system behind everybody, which is super cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, I mean, like, the you know, the, the UK crowds have got behind Paddy and Molly, and then, as I say, as they've been fighting more in the US, we've seen the U USA fans get behind them, which is, like, oh, yeah. unbelievable for us, you know? The first time... I went to see Connor when he fought Chad Mendez. I was actually pulling for Chad Mendez. I didn't know Connor. And there were, I think, 12,000 people at the weigh-ins. Chad was a, lived about four hours from there, and he got booed the entire time while the crowd was erupted for Connor. And I'm like, I get there's a lot of Irish people here, but there was a ton of Americans cheering for him. And I was like, and, and now you got the same thing. Like, they have such a personality 
and then their fighting speaks for itself. So now they have all the Americans that are cheering for them as well and pulling for them and rooting for them as well as all the people from England and Liverpool. Yeah, it's, 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 it's wild. It's, it's special, you know what yeah, I mean? It is, like them walkouts sure. that we do for the UFC and everyone erupts, it's like, it's so I so can't special. even imagine being you behind one of them walking out to that. It's, it's nuts. It, yeah. it is. It's like phenomenal. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Dave Portnoy. It would make me emotional he if, wanted was, to if do, I was oh, there, for sure. Oh, it, it is. It is very emotional. Like, yeah. And that's like a, a, a huge thing. You have to be able to control your emotions as well, not lose your shit yeah. when something bad happens and not like, you know. Right. Get them nerves yourself. As a coach, it would be that way. As a fighter, I don't know how you would feed off it or tune it out or, you know, because it's so big. I mean, it is larger than life, you know, that, that walkout. So... But you, 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 you got an experience of it, didn't you, after the last Bellator we've been speaking about it, yeah. where everyone, like, mob Lucas, and they wanted the piece of Lucas and all that sort of We got stuff. upstairs, and I was like, can you imagine being Molly? Can you imagine <laughs> being Patty? Like, that was that was just something minuscule to that, but it was cool, but it was like, holy smokes, you know? It went on for a few hours while we were hanging out in the in the crowd and then to the lobby, and I was like... Those are people that knew you because you just fought. Now imagine walking out the front door of the hotel and people still knowing you. Yeah, everywhere you went. You yeah. know, I was like, that's wild. Imagine every time he goes to the store. Yeah, everyone's like, can I get a pick? Can I get a pick? Yeah. Imagine he's eating his dinner and you want to be nice to everyone. In the middle of putting food in his mouth, people are like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like you want to be nice to everyone, but you're at some point you're just like, come on, give me a break. <laughs> like Paddy's pretty cool with that sort of stuff. As long as you say please, yeah, you give you a photograph or whatever you want. But if you don't say please, <laughs> like, Fuck what's you. the magic word? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> awesome. Well, Paul, it's been so awesome having you on here. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Mom. Um, thank you guys for watching. We'll see you next time. It is all over. Just like that. <laughs>